good morning. Uh, thank you so much for being here. If you have a Bible nearby, you can grab it, open it to James chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to begin our journey this morning. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. If you don't know me, my name is Rick, uh, and I have the privilege of serving as our Adult Ministries Director at our Banks Mill campus. Uh, and I am super excited to be here to unpack and continue to walk through the book of James. For those of you who do know me, you know that I'm a logical thinker. I like for my decisions to be able to fit into a little black and white bubble where I can have all of the options and then make that choice. But James is going to walk us through some incredibly deep theological truths in a logical and very practical way that is going to stir our affections for Jesus. And this morning, he's gonna walk us through something that I think is incredibly important for humanity. And what he's going to walk us through this morning is the concept of humility, which if you notice where we are, we're out on a golf course filming this morning. We thought this would be a great spot to shoot this message because I have found nothing that will humble you faster than the practice of trying to get a small white ball into a hole just a couple of hundred yards away. And so James is going to qualify for us this morning first why humanity should walk in humility. And so if you have your Bible and you open it to James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, James is going to say this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So James, not in a way that is going to stir anyone's self-esteem, is going to present our need for logic this way. He is going to say that logic should be humanity's response to a right understanding both of who we are and who God is. And he lays it out for us this way, and I think he's being generous, that none of us can control, none of us have the power to control what happens to us tomorrow. But I would contend, and we could take it even a step farther and go that none of us have the power to control what happens to us today. We have plans and maybe you're type A and your plan is in, is in place and you know what's gonna happen this week and you know what you're gonna eat and you know how long it's gonna take to digest and you know what steps you're gonna take to become closer to the goals that you've set for your life. Or maybe you're type B and you're just walking through it. But either one of those, the reality is this. Your entire life could change because your cell phone buzzes right now. That there's not one of us that our best laid plans can't go completely to waste because of something completely out of our control. And so James qualifies our need for humility. But if I can be honest with you, here's kind of my struggle as a logical thinker with the concept of humility. Is that it's almost ethereal in nature. And here's what I mean by that. If I'm struggling with humility and I begin to work on it and pray for it and, and battle to be more humble, and then I show up at home group this week and I go, man, I feel like God is just really, really growing me in my humility. Did I lose it? Am I, am I proud in that moment? And so what I wanna do this morning is try to give us some simple gauges that we can use to examine our lives and examine what we're walking through to determine if we're practicing humility. And then if we are, I want to give us and ask us just a couple of questions that will help us, help us protect that humility in our lives. The first way that we protect humility present in our lives drives right to the core and the heart of who we are here at Cedar Creek Church, and that is that we value community. If you've been coming to Cedar Creek for any length of time, you've heard us talk about getting plugged in with the church, get plugged in serving, and then even more importantly than any of that, getting plugged in to a home group. And maybe you've asked the question, why? 
Why do we spend so much time sharing about this and trying to encourage you and push you into getting plugged in and involved? And the reason for that is the same as that cliched saying that we hear about raising a kid, it takes a village. You know, the interesting and kind of insidious nature of pride as a sin in our life is that nobody actually believes they're prideful. In fact, arrogant people just believe that they're awesome. And so why we need one another is to battle back against these blind spots that we may not even know that we have. And so we push back against pride by people protecting us and walking alongside of us and going, hey, I see this sin struggle in your life. One of the first steps in pursuing humility is recognizing that you cannot and we're not created to do life alone. In fact, scripture is going to teach us throughout the Bible that we will not experience the fullness of joy that we were created to walk in as long as we are trying to go it all on our own. Paul is going to write about this to the church at Corinth as they're battling and beginning and trying to get started on the right foot. And he is going to write in the 12th chapter, starting in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians, he's going to spell it out for us this way. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. The whole, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. One of the disservices that I think we find in the American pull yourself up by the bootstrap mentality is that we honestly begin to believe that we can experience and live life best alone, that we can accomplish more alone. But Paul's gonna spell it out for us this way, using this body language, is that we end up looking like a foot trying to run a marathon without the rest of the body. We need one another. Each of us are uniquely gifted, uniquely shaped, and we need one another. We need one another. One of the interesting things is I've worked with getting to plug people into community that becomes very interesting to me is that one of the primary reasons that people don't get plugged into community is because they feel that getting plugged into a community or recognizing a need to be plugged in with other people is somehow admitting fault, admitting that I can't do it all on my own. Well, here's the reality of life is that we can't. And so I want to challenge you. In each of these sections this morning we walked through, I want to simply ask a question that's going to help us inventory our lives and take a poll of where we stand. And the question for this is this. As you walk through your life and as you solve issues that arise in your life and as you work with groups of people in your life, who's the hero? In each of these situations, who is the most important person? And if the answer to that is you, or that you feel this desire for it to always be you, I would encourage you to have a group of people come alongside you and pull in and examine your heart. If the hero is always you, that's a very good indication that you're probably struggling with pride and that you need help and you need someone to pull alongside you and point out the blind spots. You see, humility recognizes blind spots as something that can be conquered. Pride says that they're not there and continues to walk with them throughout your life. 
As we continue to pursue humility in our lives, the second trait that I've found that scripture paints for us as, as being helpful is that we embrace questions. Now, I gotta take a second here and confess uh, a little bit of a genetic issue that I have, not a medical issue, but just a trait that's been passed down uh, that is a Lee family trait. And it goes a little bit like this. There's moments in my life uh, where people will ask me questions. And if I were to be completely honest, I have no idea what the answer is, but instead of recognizing the fact that I have no idea what the answer is, I make something off, make something up completely off the cuff. And here's the good news, sometimes it's right, other times something ends up breaking at my house and I end up getting in big trouble with my wife. And so now um, that all of our wives, if you're watching this with your wives, are probably slapping you, uh, we will continue in this reality of embracing questions as a battle against humility. David is going to write in the eighth chapter of Psalms these words. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the son of man that you care for him. I'm an avid outdoorsman, and one of my favorite things, whether it be in the woods hunting or walking along the beach, is the moments that I have in my life that just give you a little bit of perspective of how small you actually are. Whether it be standing on the beach watching a sunrise or even standing on the beach looking at the sand and just realizing in comparison to the grand scope of, of, cre of all of creation, how small you are. And I don't mean that to belittle you, but I do mean that to glorify God. And again, one of the first steps in humility is recognizing who God is. And then as you recognize who He is and how powerful He is, you get a right understanding of who you are. And what becomes okay for the person to do is embrace questions to enjoy curiosity, to sit and marvel at all that we see that God has placed around us. As we continue to walk in that, to allow those questions and that marveling and that curiosity to stir up our affection for God and our adoration for Him and our worship of Him. As we continue to battle that, we see that our curiosity causes us to, to the conclusion, to come to the conclusion that we don't know everything. And that there's so much more that we don't understand, but that we can celebrate and worship God for. So the question I wanna ask you as we look at embracing questions is this. As you examine your life, who's always right? As you make a statement, is it always your way or the highway? Is it always your political line of thought that is the only political line of thought, your way of accomplishing a task as the only way of accomplishing tasks? Or do you allow people to come in and to speak questions into your life? And do you allow yourself to investigate Instead of making theological battles that you have no idea, are you driven back to the Word of God that the Word of God may stir your adoration of God? And as you fall deeper in love with Him, are you led to creation to see even more fully how incredible He is? Who's always right in your life? And are you willing to examine that as you battle against pride? The final way that I wanna unpack this morning that we protect humility in our lives is also particularly pressing given today's political and just world climate that we find ourselves living in. And this last way is that we celebrate differences. You know, as you think about the good news of the gospel, if we're honest about it, there's also a little bit of offensiveness to it. You know, the unifying thing found in the gospel that unites all humanity is a common need. 
Uh, if you study scriptures, you find that all of us have fallen short of God's glory and needed redemption, that we are unified in our need of rescue and redemption. And Jesus's response to our need is to leave his throne seat in heaven, to be born in a manger that will eventually lead to a cross to rescue and redeem us. The other piece of unity that results from the gospel is found in the Great Commission, that after we're unified in our need for Jesus and then saved and redeemed by Jesus, we're sent and commissioned by Jesus to reach all of the world. But the reality of this calling in this life that, we're, that are laid before us is that it's not easy. The Christian life is quite difficult, and just like we examined in the first point this morning, we know that we are going to need one another in order to accomplish all that God is calling us to. It's the reason that Hebrews in chapter 10, starting in verse 24, puts it this way. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, we find that principle that we found to be true earlier that we need one another, that we have blind spots, that we can't go at this alone, that the mission is too difficult and our calling is too high to go at it on our own. And then again, we're driven back to the unity reminder in Revelation chapter 7 as we get a description of Jesus' kingdom as it will reign for eternity starting in verse 9. Revelation says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, for the believer, we humbly draw into relationship with one another because we recognize that none of us are any more deserving of the grace and mercy that we have received that all of us blew it, that all of us will continue to choose things other than the joy that Jesus sets before us and that Jesus' response he's going to say in James chapter 4 is that he gives more grace. And so I want to encourage you. The world right now tells you that your differences are what divides us from one another. But if we understand God's word and our calling, we see our differences as what unites us as what enables us to do exactly what God is calling us to do, to carry the good news of the gospel to the ends of the, of the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue. I can't do that alone. Cedar Creek Church can't do that alone. We need people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so the last question that I want to ask you this morning, as you examine your life and push back against maybe pride and arrogance that may exist there, is who's around you? And then I'll ask an additional question in this one. Why are those people around you? As you look at the people in your circle and the people that you, to use a Christian term, do life with on a regular basis, do you find that most of them look the same way that you do? Vote the same way that you do? Handle finances the same way that you do? Think the same way that you do? You see, the reality for us as believers is that we're given this incredible gift. And the gift that we're given is an invitation into a family with people who look different than us, who can draw out things of us that we didn't even know that we had. So who's around you? Oftentimes, arrogance in our lives presents itself in comfort 
we surround ourselves with people who make us comfortable because it's never going to cause us to push back against things that God may be calling us to lay down. So who's around you? And can we be humbly united by our common need for a savior and redemption and then humbly sent to impact the world around us with the good news that saved us and offered that redemption? Can we lay down our pride in the way that we have to have it and the things that we want to go, the way that we want those things to go, to go, I will partner with other people, other churches, and seeing the good news of the gospel impact the ends of the earth. And I will partner with other people so that the good news of the gospel might impact my life, that I may humbly experience the fullness of joy that I will know for all of eternity in this life as well. Will you pray with me? Jesus, this morning I thank you for who you are. God, in the midst of a world that seems to be in chaos, I thank you that you are not taken by surprise. God, I thank you that as you look around at the world today, you are the same today as you were yesterday and as you will be tomorrow. God, my prayer for us as a church family is that we will examine our lives, that we will take stock of where we may hold pride. God, maybe it's in the way that we do church. Maybe it's in the songs that we sing and in the way that we worship it. If anybody does it a different way, that's not the right way. God, may you break us of that. And may we see that you have united us, that you have redeemed us and placed all of us in a common family for your glory, others' good, and our joy. Jesus, we need you. God, would you reveal and break our hearts of where there may be pride, God, may you place us in community and surround us with other believers who may point those blind spots out in our life. Jesus, that we will be passionate about and broken by all of our sin. And that we will lay it all down before you because you're a God who gives more grace. We love you, King Jesus. We worship you this morning. We thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray.